We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. From your favorite source for Chicago White Sox talk, delivering news, interviews, analysis, and more. This is the Sox Machine Podcast with your hosts, Jim Margulis and Josh Nelson. Thanks, Rob, and welcome to a new episode of the Sox Machine Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Nelson, and it's March 4th, 2022. The Major League Baseball lockout continues. After meeting for seven straight days, the two parties, Major League Baseball and the Major League Baseball Players Association, could not find enough middle ground on a new CBA. Thus, Rob Manfred, the commissioner of Major League Baseball, how to make this announcement. Good afternoon, everyone. Um, I had hoped against hope that I would not have to have this particular press conference um, in which I am going to cancel some regular season games. We worked hard to avoid an outcome that's bad for our fans, bad for our players, and bad for our clubs. I want to assure our fans that our failure to reach an agreement was not due to a lack of effort by either party. The players came here for nine days, they worked hard, they tried to make a deal, and I appreciate their effort. Our committee of club representatives committed to the process. They offered compromise after compromise and hung in past the deadline to make sure that we exhausted every possibility of reaching an agreement before the cancellation of games. So far, the parties have failed to achieve their mutual goal of reaching an agreement. Canceling the first six games of the season means the Chicago White Sox home opening series against the Minnesota Twins has been wiped out. And then the three games at Kauffman Stadium to play the Kansas City Royals. Theoretically, if a new CBA was agreed upon by next Tuesday, March 8th, Maybe 2022 opening day would be at Detroit on April 8th. Tony Clark, the Major League Baseball Players Association president, gave his remarks after Manfred's announcement to cancel the first two series of the season. Former player, as a fan, um, for our game, today is a, a sad day. We came to Florida to navigate or to negotiate for a a fair collective bargaining agreement. Despite meeting daily while here in Florida, uh, there is still work that needs to be done. We are seeking improvements to our CBA because significant improvements are needed. 
We've made no mistake about that fact over the course of the last three or four years based on what we've seen on the field and off the field. It's against that backdrop of growing revenues and record profits for owners in the league that players seek and deserve nothing more than fundamental fairness. Players want to play. We, we all know that. But the reason we're not playing is simple. A lockout is the ultimate economic weapon. Let me repeat that. A lockout is the ultimate economic weapon. In a $10 billion industry, the owners have made a conscious decision to use this weapon against the greatest asset they have, the players. But the group won't be intimidated. I've seen more unity over the last few years than at any time in our recent history. Our guys care deeply about the game, care deeply about the fans, and care deeply about our player fraternity. And they are focused on improving the rights and benefits for today's generation of player and for the generations to come. Needless to say, we remain committed to the bargaining process and getting back on the field as soon as possible. An important question was raised during these press conferences. It appeared that real negotiating was occurring during these seven days in Jupiter, Florida. Both sides were exchanging proposals and meeting frequently. So why was that happening late February into early March? Why not sooner to avoid this disastrous outcome? This from Rob Manfred. Yeah, I think the, the best answer to that question is the last 10 days. We've been here, ready to bargain, full committees, owners, players for 10 days, and it got going two days before the deadline. I, you know, that's the best explanation I can give you. Not a very satisfying answer. And Tony Clark provided some additional insight that's pretty damning against the league. Uh, in regard to, to the process and, and what we've seen, um, the entire process has been an, an interesting one, to say the least. Uh, in a world where uh, you are looking to make changes, make adjustments, make improvements based on what it is you're seeing, you understand that you need as much time as possible to work through those things. It's why we, we started the process when we did in April. It's why we, we made the core economic proposals that we did in the first part of May. Uh, it's why we remained available, whether on Zoom or as the, 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 the pandemic afforded us the opportunity to meet in person, we made ourselves available then. Uh, it's why we sequestered ourselves in a hotel in Dallas with the hope of, of working toward an agreement. It's why we stood ready for six weeks after the lockout on December 1st, ready to have a discussion. It is remarkably interesting against the backdrop of the things that needed to be worked through to find ourselves on February 28th over the course of the last week in West Palm Beach working through the issues that quite honestly needed to be and could have been and should have been discussed in more depth much earlier. The Major League Baseball Players Association's official stance was trying to work out a new CBA in April of 2021, at least get the conversation started. That was 11 months ago. The commissioner of baseball's response was that they were at the table in Jupiter, Florida, and that should count for something. It doesn't. Morale around the league continues to sink. Tony Clark was asked about the current state of the game, and he painted a very gloomy picture. 
the game that I grew up on, the game that our guys play, how that game is played has changed. As a result of that change, the game that, that a lot of baseball fans uh, have grown up knowing um, has changed. The, the value inherent and in how players are respected and viewed has changed. Players have been commoditized in, in a way, commoditized in a way that, that is really hard to explain in the grand scheme of things. The game has, has continued to be damaged and is again damaged today as a result of a lockout that was started by the league, as a result of a deadline that was set by the league, and in a climate that has been challenging for, for us as, as, as baseball fans, um, for, for those of us who love to go to the ballpark. Uh, I think I started tonight's com uh, uh, dialogue, Ken, by saying it's a sad day. And if you love baseball the way players do, if you love baseball the way fans do, uh, it's hard not to be sad with where we are on March 1st, 2022, uh, when there is truly uh, an opportunity to have these guys back on the field doing what they love and fans supporting what it is that they do uh, and the game that they love um, in a way that's, that's far different than, than us having press conferences in hotel rooms in Florida uh, and, and talking about games not being played in the near future. On Thursday, March 3rd, officials from both Major League Baseball and the Players Association met in New York. It's reported that the tone of the conversation was not any different than in Jupiter, Florida, and it's not known when the two parties will speak again. We are going to take a quick break for a word from our sponsors, but coming up next, we are going to dive into Major League Baseball's real issue, the owners, and what could be influencing their thinking and how there are already a few of them willing to budge from their stance. Next on the Sox Machine Podcast. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Grey's Anatomy, the most iconic binge-worthy drama, is back, along with answers to the biggest cliffhangers. Will Teddy survive? Will Joe and Link finally find happiness together? Meredith returns along with fan faves like Arizona. You can now stream every episode of Grey's ever on Hulu and new episodes next day. Watch the season premiere of Grey's Anatomy tonight at 9, 8 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. Joining me now on the Sox Machine podcast is the managing editor of SoxMachine.com. It's Jim Margulis. And hello, Jim. We are down to 156 games in 2022. 
White Sox fans have lost opening day, which was scheduled for March 31st. And hopefully for all those that have flights or travel plans coming to Chicago that weekend, that there are other things that you could do. I do have one suggestion that I'll share in a moment. But Jim, where does the league and the Players Association go from here? I think the initial... I guess path based on what happened Thursday is that they're going to be slowing it down and taking it out of the limelight because, you know, the, the league's gambit to try to stoke excitement and optimism through friendly reporters, uh, as they did on Monday going into Tuesday and having it just kind of, uh, dissolve on them and not really, I think, get traction. I think a lot of fans were disappointed. A lot of, you know, writers, people around the game, were disappointed, but ultimately, I think after you know maybe 24 hours, they realized like, oh, that was the gambit that was tried by the league to you know get people excited and maybe put pressure on the union. So I think they're basically back to where they started, <laughs> even you know back to the the top of the lockout. So it's really been just a wasted three months. And when there was that whole optimistic streak of you know maybe 18 hours or so in the news, I was feeling a little bit encouraged slash smug that like, oh, this is my vision. This is how it's going to you know, come to the deadline. And this is why I was right to not really panic. And even though I wavered a little bit at the end, like, you know, I, I should have trust my gut the whole time. <laughs> and, <laughs> and to see it uh, just, you know, in the end, having no real traction, you know, some, some mild agreement here and there. But as we've seen happen over the course of these negotiations the league will take something off the table that it had previously agreed to so i don't know if you can say the 12 team postseason is fixed or a bonus pool of any meaningful amount is fixed you know you just can't really say right now so i'm more or less un- operating under no real assumptions and uh, that's probably the way to go just because I think once they decided that they could miss games, the league decided that they could miss games and reset the counter that had been count, yeah, uh, uh, counting days since 1995, saying we have gone this long. We have been the sport that has uh, gone longest without a, a meaningful labor stoppage. And to actually lose games, I think that's the hardest part. That, you know, now I think it's just more a matter of, well, do they make it count? And, and and how deep they dig in after that. What's the possible impact to the Chicago White Sox schedule if the two parties continue to be odds with one another throughout the month of March, Jim? Well, I, uh, I wrote a post on th- this topic, just kind of going through the schedule so far. And, you know, the, the whole idea of the league canceling games it didn't have to, or at least it didn't seem like they had to. Manfred made a, a decent point that interleague play changes the calendar in a way that it didn't happen before. Like you, it's it's hard for teams like like say if the White Sox had missed a scheduled uh, series with the Padres, and all of a sudden they try to have to try to make up three games over the course of a season, flying out to the West Coast. That that's probably not going to happen. So. It's an unfair advantage to like, you know, whereas a team like the White Sox, which only plays divisional opponents the first week of the season and can make those games up many times over the course of the year. I can get where he's coming from that games have to be canceled, either that or maybe they they go to one more imbalanced 16-14 league split in order to try to get a full season in with a lot of double headers. But, you know, when you look at the schedule um, right now, you know, the White Sox can make up games, and if they can't make up the games, then they lose three games against the Royals and the Twins, and you have a weird little 16-game 
set up against those teams, whereas you have a full schedule against the rest of the division. And that's weird, but fine. You know, just, you know, theoretically a, a team can lose a game uh, or two due to rainouts or hurricane at the end of the year. So, you know, they have, you have situations where a game or two is missing. And so that's not a little bit weird, but I think once you get to 25 games, then you're missing two series against teams, the Royals and the Twins. And when you get to a quarter of the season, which, you know, I kind of think is maybe possible based on, you know, if 25 games is what Ken Rosenthal mentioned as like the, the time where networks start to ask for money back on the, 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 the TV deals that, uh, you know, maybe a quarter of the season is when like it starts hurting or when like the, the, the union might be able to put a dent in it. And at that point you have two series against three divisional opponents and, that's, I think, probably where, you know, if it gets down to like maybe on, under 140 games, 130 games, that's probably where they have to like take the schedule and rewrite it just in order to make sure that you have the division little series represented. And then maybe you can just try to, you know, mitigate interleague play kind of like they did with the 60 game schedule where they, they, it was really divisional series based, but I imagine they try to balance it so that you know, maybe you don't get a full slate against the entire American League, but or maybe you don't get two series against the entire American League, but you try to balance it between divisions so every team in the division plays every team in like the AL East the same amount of times. I can't even begin to tell you how upset I would be if they changed the schedule. Because for us, we were planning that tailgate in Minneapolis in July. That still might happen. But we're hoping to have some type of get together in San Diego. So for all those that live in, you know, in Arizona, Southern California, there's a large White Sox fan contingent in Los Angeles. We could all meet up and flights have been booked. (laughs) Hotels have hotel rooms have been booked. And they decide to change the schedule because they wipe out 40 plus games of the season because they can't come to an agreement then all that pre-planning goes away. I know there's a lot of White Sox fans that before 4th of July, so that 4th of July weekend, the 1st through the 3rd, they were going to be in San Francisco to watch the White Sox play against the San Francisco Giants and go visit that stadium for the first time for many. And if you don't have baseball that weekend, at least you're in San Francisco. I mean, there's there are things to do in San Francisco. But this is where it really starts piling on the fans. And the fans are already angry, Jim, Mm -hmm. Uh, especially for season ticket holders. They're getting emails that they're going to be receiving credits for games that are missed for the Chicago White Sox. You can send an email requesting to get a refund. I think there are some that have already done that. I haven't heard back if that has been successful for them. The credits, of course, you can't use them on postseason tickets. You can only use them for 2022 or 2023 regular season games. So convenient. Uh, The thing that you really want to spend your money that you've already spent and gave to the White Sox on. Mm -hmm. The White Sox are not going to allow you to spend that money on postseason tickets. Uh, So go figure. I'm sure there is some legal explanation for that. But right now, the anger from the players and from a large group of fans, I would say now it's definitely the majority, is aimed at the owners. Before I dive into the owner situation, and you already highlighted part of that with the regional sports networks and the the rebate, the rebate fiasco that could be upcoming here, how do you feel about the whole collective of the Major League Baseball owners, Jim? And are they at fault for what has transpired? Oh, yeah. Um, it's 
pretty clear. And I think, you know, when you think about previous labor stoppages, both in baseball and in other sports, there's always a natural tendency to blame both sides and say, you know, that I think it's probably just maybe a product of American media too. And, and, and outside of baseball to say, like, look for both sides, look for balance, equal time, that sort of thing. And, and so given that players are the ones theoretically getting in the way of games, there's always been more pressure on the players to take a deal, whatever the deal is to restore games, restore the schedule, uh, get back on the field, playing a child's game and getting paid handsomely for it. You know, that's usually the line, but I think the league has been very, I guess, very direct in its indirectness and just how, how, uh, it was not really interested in, in a deal. It was interested in, in total victory to, you know, immediately implement the lockout and then to wait 43 days to go without negotiating. Just having those two, you know, sequences back to back, like rushing a defensive lockout in order to make things happen. And then they do not make things happen. They do the opposite. Don't even try. And then, you know, they wait for the last 10 days. Rob Manfred, terrible at public speaking, terrible at answering questions that he's not expecting, or at least uh, that he doesn't have written down in front of him. You know, he does not have an answer when somebody says, why wasn't these seem like December negotiations in February and March. Why is that? And he didn't have an answer for that. He just said like, well, the last 10 days have been productive or at least, you know, has, have been a lot of activity. He didn't say anything about the first 80. That just made it very clear to me and, you know, mm-hmm. pretty much everybody else that the league really just wasn't interested in brokering a deal that might've been, you know, slightly more fair to the players than it was, but still is tilted on the owner side. Like basically once the, uh, players stopped pursuing things like age-based free agency and uh, a shorter path to free agency and and ditching revenue sharing and, and trying to kind of uh, starve the teams with lower payrolls that are rebuilding and not interested in spending the money they receive. Once they dropped that and just wanted to get a higher minimum wage and a little bit more uh, of flexibility to reward pre-arbitration players and, and, and reducing draft pick compensation, Basically, nothing in there was revolutionary or upsetting when it comes to just the sweet deal that the owners had. And if they gave the players everything they wanted, um, and that includes like the higher competitive balance tax threshold, like they'd still be coming away well ahead and, and, and with no major gains to worry about going into the next CBA negotiations five years from now because nothing changed about the structure. So when you look at that entire uh, setup, and we talked about it before, I think Joe Sheehan mentioned that like they're arguing over like four to six percent of league revenue, and and there's never been a labor stoppage in baseball that wasn't over such small potatoes. That it seems like the the you know it was just a power trip on the fact the owner on, on the part of the owners and just you know perhaps mm-hmm. an increasing focus on the bottom line, increasing focus on just the money-making operation and, and and the competitive aspect of it, you know, actually having their teams contend with each other over 162 games, that's more or less gone by the wayside. Like, and, you know, the, uh, you know, Jason Hayward says much like they're fine losing April. They just want that sweet postseason money. And, uh, you know, if they, if they lose, uh, like say if 162 games becomes 140 or 135, mm-hmm. they really couldn't care. And based on the way they've behaved, uh, there seems to be a lot to that, or at least uh, the ownership class and Rob Manfred has not produced anything that can really make you think otherwise than aside from like 162 games in April opening days is how it's always been. And why wouldn't the league be in favor of that? 
Well, Rat Manfred did say something that I thought was interesting during that really terrible press conference. That photo of him smiling before the press conference starts and delivering the news that mm-hmm. he hoped against all hope that he would not have to cancel the first two series of the regular season uh, is going to stay in my mind and it just intensifies the anger uh, that I have at Major League Baseball at this moment. But during the press conference, he admitted that Major League Baseball has a payroll disparity problem. This problem has not been new, Jim. And I've been hearing about payroll disparity issues since the 1990s. Mm -hmm. Here's something that caught my attention while doom scrolling on Twitter. And I find it a bit odd. It comes, it's a tweet coming from a Pittsburgh Pirates podcast called Pittsburgh Pirates Rant Podcast. So they rant about the Pittsburgh Pirates. That's all you can do. Pretty much. And they tweeted the fact that this shutdown forces the Mets, Dodgers, Phillies, and Yankees fans to acknowledge that payroll disparity exists. Derek Jeter quit to try to save the game to wake up fans to this massive problem that has been swept under the rug by ESPN and the like silver lining. And I find it odd because the Pittsburgh pirates have never had a $100 million opening day payroll. They've come close, but never at a hundred million dollars on opening day. And you have pirates fans pointing the finger at the Yankees and Mets for spending too much money on players. And then you do have fans that continue to point, and I point the finger at the Pittsburgh Pirates, whose current player payroll for the upcoming 2022 season is $34.45 million. The national TV money revenue sharing for this upcoming season is $56 to $58 million. So because teams that spend money to build elite rosters and gain national attention like the Yankees and Mets, a cry-poor franchise in Pittsburgh can spend as little money as possible on player payroll that the national TV revenue will cover their entire player payroll and they don't even need fans to show up because they've already got the major expense paid for and nobody wants to see the Pirates play on national TV anyways in 2022 or probably 2023 for that matter. Then the report from Andy Martino from SNY Television out in New York. And he's reporting that according to three sources... Four Major League Baseball owners have already made it clear they are going to be voting no on any CBA that has the competitive balance tax above $210 million, speaking of Pittsburgh. Before the league made its best and final offer, Martino's reporting, they received more no votes that the league was proposing their $220 million competitive balance tax. So the Players Association... They do not want to agree to any CBA that has this tax below $230 million. And remember, this tax pretty much acts as a salary cap. And now it's being reported that the league's office doesn't have enough yes votes to even meet that demand. Thus the deadlock. And you mentioned Jason Hayward as he took his thoughts to Instagram and citing the passage from Ken Rosenthal reporting in The Athletic that teams can miss about 25 games of their local television contracts and you know, more from Jason Hayward. He wrote quote, they continue to make offers. They know were in the player's best interest to refuse, hoping both sides could continue to disagree and they would get their end goal, their goal of delaying the 2022 major league baseball season. The bottom line, they know the amount of games we need to play in order for them to profit. They view the first month of the season as debt. 
Season delayed equals they meet their goals. As players, all of us make different amounts of money each year. Regardless of the contract, we went into these negotiations in hopes of actually discussing the game we thought they cared about. The outcome to this date has been one side and the players negotiating with ourselves because the other side wants division and they truly don't care to play the scheduled 162 games. That's the route that they chose. And our new friend Eugene Freeman on Twitter made an astute observation by missing the first 25 games. Now this takes the scheduled timeline we were just talking about, about games White Sox fans are going to be missing to April 29th that Major League Baseball will still get paid by the RSNs. Getting paid for a product that does not exist based on their current agreement because they're not playing those games. And because the teams are not paying the players, they could raise their profitability by 16 plus percent, especially for those that do not own or partly own their regional sports networks because of expenses. So the regional sports networks not only lose programming, but they're going to lose about 15% of their programming schedule, which means they're going to be losing out on 15% of their ad revenue planned for this schedule. And for those that watch NBC Sports Chicago routinely, you already know what happens when that station loses money. People lose their jobs. This also applies to the local radio stations in Chicago for ESPN 1000, the White Sox radio affiliate, and 670 The Score who broadcast the Cubs games. They are missing games. They have to pay for those missed games. Also losing out on ad revenue to help make up the cost of being the broadcast partner for these teams. So not only the owners are pissing off the players and fans, Jim, they're going Mm -hmm. to make their broadcast partners angry too. But what can these stations really do? Having a professional sports team broadcast at your station makes your brand more lucrative And it's a necessary evil for many media outlets and why, despite all of this turmoil and bad faith business, we are now reading that Amazon and Apple are knocking on the door at Major League Baseball, willing to drop $150 million a year so they could broadcast regular season games. It reminds me of something you recently wrote on SoxMachine.com. In the aftermath of Rob Manfred canceling the first two series, Major League Baseball is lucky lucky to be making as much money as they do and boy they are burning some bridges on who they make a lot of money with and it could drastically impact not just 2022 Jim but this could have significant impact even within the next five years of this sport yeah they're you know it, it kind of reminds me of any kind of bubble situation where when the numbers don't start making sense like when you're losing you know when you were talking about like well the network is losing programming it's paying money for programming it's not getting and it might not be able to get that money back and they're struggling anyway like how can they take on that kind of you know water especially like say if there's you know if cost cutting is a problem or cord cutting is a problem and that leads to cost cutting on behalf of the RSNs those numbers don't quite add up. The team seems like it's insulated, but there are other properties that might take a hit from it. And you might, you know, the the league might be able to paper over that with money from Amazon or Disney or Peacock, whoever needs to be streaming, you know, these things in order to, uh, you know, have that kind of live sports programmings that help, you know, build out their, their viewership. I think the more they get in the weeds there, where they're counting on just fans, 
following along. Like that, that's one thing that makes me nervous about the postseason expansion is like, it's already hard enough to know which games are on what network when it comes to the ALDS. If you have like a wild card round or you have like another round or two of the postseason and you have like games on True TV or <laughs> streaming only on Paramount Plus or whatever, like it's going to make them money, but it's not going to gain interest or mind share. The ratings are not going to be impressive and just it's cash, but it doesn't build to anything meaningful. And when you see like the average age of the baseball viewer is going up and you see like their traditional ratings are going down and they're losing mind share to the NBA and they have none of the, you know, sports top marketable players. Like it just seems like it's adding up to something pretty delicate uh, beyond what that $11 billion revenue total suggests. And, and uh, that I, I think would make me a bit nervous about the future. Like it makes short-term financial sense. And it makes like, if you want to maximize your you know earnings year to year, like, yeah, they're doing it. But I don't see a cohesive fan building strategy, especially if you're willing to burn a month of the season over such small amount of money and alienate the people who are watching. So that's, that's something that makes me a bit nervous about the way baseball is conducting itself. And, and to go back to the pirates mm-hmm. thing, um, do you know the biggest financial outlay the pirates have made on a free agent? Is it Jason Kendall? Uh, no. Um, oh, let's say like put a dollar figure on it. It's a three-year contract. What do you think that, that contract is worth? 48 million, 39 million. That's the biggest thing. Francisco Liriano. What? The biggest free agent contract. It's like the pirates are the, like, you know, Oh, that's right. Kendall not, was on their team. So that's not a free yeah. agent contract. Yeah. Andrew Cutchin signed a six year, $51 million extension. So that's the biggest contract, but they also traded him before the last year. So they did not pay that last year. But like, whenever I hear pirates fans complaining, that's like, that's not a baseball problem. That's a Bob Nutting problem. Mm-hmm. That's, that's not, you know, if he were able to make the pirates more interesting, they would show up. Pittsburgh loves the pirates. They love that ballpark. They just hate the ownership and the ownership has done nothing to make them like him. So it's just, I don't see Pittsburgh being a reason to reshape the way the league does business. If anything, like, you know, Pittsburgh should be, or like the league should be trying to oust nutting and look for somebody who wants to like make that beautiful park a place to be for the summer rather than a place to avoid. Um, so yeah, it's, mm-hmm. I, I can understand arguments around like, I would say like the Brewers are probably the most sympathetic because they're a team that tries. They're a small market team that does everything it can. The, the Padres are a small market and they do what they can uh, to, to compete with the Dodgers. Like there are small markets that, that do the work. The, the Royals do the work pretty well. They're, they're taking a step back right now, but they're, I think they're doing it consciously or they're doing it with, you know, you know, they tried with Carlos Santana and Mike Miner. Like they tried to make some additions to shore up their roster with credible players. And when you hear Dayton more talk about how they treat uh, their minor leaguers and how they, you know, want they regard their fans. Like it's a model, I think for a small market, you know, occasionally have to take step backs and take losing seasons to retrench, but you don't have to do it as cravenly and as, as, you know, in a way that makes fans just tune you out for three years, like the Orioles are doing. So uh, there are teams that you can pin up against the Dodgers and, and Yankees and say like, how are these guys supposed to compete? But the pirates are not one of them. I just find it completely inexcusable that your entire player payroll could be covered by the national TV revenue deal. Yeah. You are clearly taking advantage 
of the other teams that are trying to be competitive. You're, you're taking advantage of them. And this whole payroll disparity issue, and it, you know, moving forward, they got to get 23 votes. They got to get 23 yes votes, Rob Manfred does, in order for a new CBA to be ratified by the owners. What can they propose to the Players Association that will get buy-in from the Players Association and yet turn around and get those 23 votes to get the season on track? Major League Baseball's got an owner problem now, Jim. I mean, well, not I shouldn't say now. They probably have always had an owner problem, mm-hmm. but this is a huge sticking point. I mean, if you've already got four owners who are an absolute no if the competitive balance tax is above $210 million, I think that's terrible, and it already demonstrates that those teams are never going to spend, which, okay, from this perspective, why do they care? You're not going to spend $200 million. You haven't spent $210 million in the past. You don't spend $210 million in the present. You're not going to spend $210 million in the future. So why the hell do you give a damn if the Mets, Yankees, Dodgers, God forbid, the White Sox spend more than $210 million in their player payroll? Why? You worry that, well, then my team can't be competitive. You're not trying today. Mm -hmm. You weren't trying yesterday. You're not going to try tomorrow. Like, why do you care? Why? I'm wondering, like, when it comes to that, like, it's not so much about the 240 million or, like, you know, uh, like a team like the Mets being able to go from, like, you know, 210 million to 250 and, and pay the same kind of penalty uh, on going slightly over the threshold. I think it's more that if you raise it to 240, then teams like the Giants and Red Sox and maybe not the Cardinals, but maybe like the Astros or Angels could spend 230. You have more teams like going closer to the threshold, nudging closer. So it's not mm-hmm. necessarily four teams blasting by it, but it's also like another five teams maybe that go above the previous uh, threshold, uh, but not to the new one. And so that creates another 100 to $130 million of player spending that wasn't there before that smaller market teams can get in on. So I think that's, you know, maybe the bigger concern is not four teams spending more, but 10 teams spending more, just not, you know, 240 million, but maybe 215. I think that's a good thing. Yeah. The more that teams spend, especially for those big markets, and the more that they focus on trying to be competitive and be good means that they're going to be more attractive and you're going to have more cable or streaming services want to broadcast the sport and it's going to make the sport more popular. I'm sorry. Who gives a damn on what the Pirates and the Orioles and the Rays and the Marlins think? No one should. And the Rays just gave a $200 million contract. Uh, The Marlins have, well, their past ownership gave a ridiculous contract, trading them away. But I, I, I don't care about these teams. And now for the first time, I'm in the retract mode. You know what? Fine. If you're not going to put $60 million into your professional sports team, sell or we're just going to get rid of you. You can go find another league. Go join AAA. Mm -hmm. I'm sure you'd be happier to be in AAA paying guys $1,500 a month to play for your team. Like This is ridiculous. And I don't think these teams understand that putting out a terrible product, and that's what they do. They put out a terrible product on the field is just completely dragging down the entire league. It, it just is. And the fact that they're going to 
stand their ground and draw a line in the sand and say, we are an absolute no if the competitive balance tax goes above 210 million. And there are more teams that are probably in that bottom half of spending that are a no if it goes above $220 million. Well, this is why we're in a lockout. And on top of the lockout, they're probably forcing this so they could take (laughs) advantage of the fact that they're going to be making money from their local TV deals by not putting out a product. So for a team that doesn't spend any money, that's got very little in expenses, they're going to increase their profit. Yeah, I think this is why relegation makes sense. (laughs) Yes. Like just... You know, when, when, you know, like a team like the Pirates, if they stop trying, if the team like the Orioles drops out for three, three years, like they lose the gravy train. Mm-hmm. Yes, they do. We know how, how lucrative that is in England, right? With the premiership. And you mm-hmm. have all of these hedge fund managers and all these oil tycoons buying whatever team they can possibly get their hands on because of the amount of money that these teams make, especially in television deals. And it doesn't matter if they're in the league bef- below. If they can buy that team and if they can break through and get into the premiership, awesome. Then they're part of the gravy train. But I just, this is what really makes me angry now is this people point it's a payroll disparity, which has been a problem for decades. And it's a problem because so many teams don't want to spend money. Like more than half the teams don't want to spend money. And the White Sox were in this boat not too long ago. And boy, Mm -hmm. we railed on the White Sox for not spending money. So if the White Sox were, if they had a Cleveland Guardians payroll of below $30 million, we would be screaming at the White Sox for being part of the problem. But right now the White Sox have the fifth highest player payroll in baseball. They're trying. They're spending cash. We're hoping they spend more cash. But I know everyone's got this, you know, thought in their mind that, oh my gosh, once the lockout ends, we're going to have this free agent, you know, spending frenzy by what, eight teams? What are the other 22 teams going to do? I know two teams, Oakland and Cincinnati, who would be desperate to slash more payroll. And when teams slash more payroll, it's not like the TV contracts go down. Mm-hmm. It's not like sponsorship deals go down. When they slash payroll, they increase their profitability. And you, you hit it on the head earlier, Jim. We have gone in this sport. It does not matter if my team is competitive or not. It is completely about how profitable my team is. And in sports, it just doesn't work that way. It really doesn't. So do you think this is going to get done as far as a new CBA before April 1st? I don't know. Just because like you mentioned how little the smaller market teams, or I should not say smaller market teams are not trying because market, I think doesn't excuse uh, the effort being put forth by some of these teams, but the teams aren't trying. They really have no incentive to start a season if they're not getting the deal they want. And if they can band together to bend the will to me, it seems like either a deal gets struck quickly or a deal takes a long time to come together. Like it's hard to see the point of a late April contract for the players. Like the league doesn't lose money. The league actually saves money, maybe depending on how uh, players are compensated uh, for the games missed. And you know, they don't lose any of the TV deal. Like I would think probably in order for the players to maybe break ownership down, like they would have to wait into May and to make these teams with the shaky RSN situations 
losing games and wanting money back or having major revenue issues uh, with how they put games on TV. Like, I think that would be the pressure point in order to get the ownership ranks to sweat. I think, I think the union faces the early pressure of trying to pay 1,200 members uh, when they're not getting paid uh, and, and getting paid far less than they're expecting to uh, get paid and, and that awkward situation. But when it comes to, like, May, if the players can arrange it to where, like, maybe the top-paid players or players like, you know, big you know, savings accounts, investments, whatnot, players that are, who are already made can, with, you know, just uh, forego the payments and have it, you know, have more money spread out to the unpaid part of the union. And they can, like, last into May or even June, they feel good about it and can maintain a hard line. I think that's when the league starts sweating just because... That's a whole lot of money they aren't mm-hmm. making. That's a whole lot of money they, they were counting on making to have these, uh, you know, the Bally Sports situations, the former Fox Network situations that were going to be bought by Disney or had to be divested from Disney. I forget which way it went because of conflicts of interest. But uh, yeah, it's it's uh, there are enough shaky TV situations around the league to where, like, I think if it goes into May... That's, I think, when the owners start feeling it as much as the players are. Yeah, we may be hearing about streaming-only TV packages for teams heading to 2023. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's NBC Sports is kicking the idea. They're, they're kicking the tires on the idea. Like about $40 a month would be the streaming subscription in Chicago that gets you the Bulls, that gets you the Blackhawks, and that gets you the White Sox. And you'd be spending $40 a month on top of your internet bill and whatever other cable or online streaming service that you have. And that's a lot more than Netflix. That's a lot more than Disney Plus. I, I'd be a sucker to 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 pay for it, but they've already got me hooked. But for like the general baseball fan, mm-hmm. they may look at that and say, you know, I like sports, but I don't like sports enough to pay forty dollars a month for a streaming subscription service. And yeah, not even all the cancellations, the MOB.tv season long package uh, could convince the league that maybe they should be a little bit more flexible. If this goes into May, I mean, they need a month to get ready. So in order for opening day to happen, the beginning part of May, they need some type of deal agreed upon late March, early April to meet that. But if they don't come to an agreement on a CBA until May, well, then opening day is going to be June. And missing Memorial Day weekend baseball, missing all of April and May baseball, Oh my God. All because they can't come to an agreement. Mm-hmm. Uh, training camp for the NFL starts in July. You got preseason games going on in August. You, you're you going to have the attention of the country for a couple of months. And are you still going to have an all-star game in Los Angeles? Is the draft still happening? Like, yeah, man, this, this can get bad in a hurry. So it's, it's, it's bad now. If you're thinking it can't get any worse, oh, my friends, it can get a lot worse. And it could have widespread panic moving forward. Yeah, I think I think when it comes to like the 60-game season, I wonder if they're taking like the wrong lessons from that because, you know, obviously they waited until they could uh, install the minimum schedule to pay the players and have a season without like getting sued basically. And, and, you know, they waited the, the union out and just, they did the bare minimum, but they got by because it was a pandemic and nobody could do anything. Nobody could gather anywhere. And so baseball was a pleasant diversion. And, you know, 
I, fans came back in 2021 as soon as they could come back because they couldn't because it was a return to normalcy. It was very exciting. It was a relief. And so everybody could put 2020 behind them because everybody was compromised and everybody was unhappy. And so I think as poorly as the league handled it and as poorly as rough as the negotiations were, everything was rough. And so I think, you know, fans were a lot more forgiving of that messiness. But I think this time around, if, if they're saying like, uh, if they go without an April without baseball, they're kind of telling fans that like, oh, it's, we don't think this is necessary. Or like, we dare you to fans to find something else to do with your time. Uh, and I think that's a dangerous proposition to make for baseball just because it is losing mindshare. Um, and, and based on what happened in 94, 95, with how bitter fans were after the World Series is canceled, like they did not handle that well. And if they take a big if baseball takes a big interest hit, both in terms of attendance, which had been dipping a little bit uh, because of all these rebuilding teams, all these teams not trying, and then you have a ratings hit for all these shaky RSN situations, I I think, or I don't know if baseball is prepared for that. Like, I, I don't know if they're hoping to, you know, have lifeboats thrown to them by Amazon or, um, you know, whatever streaming services, you know, has the deep pockets that month that they're coming by. But, you know, maybe they're thinking they can spread that money around or find streaming deals themselves. They've done pretty well technology, but just in terms of like capturing attention and having like prestige based on like ticket demand and everything like, you know, that, that makes professional sports a big deal. I wonder if that hurts. Like I'm thinking about like Nashville, like my local situation, they're trying to push for a major league team, uh, major league expansion. And I've been, I'm not really for it just because I like a good AAA city. I like deciding like two hours before a game. Like I want to go pay $10 to go to a game. Like that's kind of just how, you know, it's, it's very relaxing. You could park close to the stadium. Um, it, it, it uh-huh. It's cheap. The food's pretty cheap. The beers are pretty cheap, you know, relative to major league games. It's just nice, really, you know, relayed, sorry, relaxed way to go to a game. And I'm looking forward, you know, with uh, my son, you know, taking him to some games. And like, if you want, if he starts crying and has to leave in the fourth inning, no big deal. Cause the tickets are 10 bucks. Uh, like I was looking forward to that. And now with AAA having a full season, you know, going full speed ahead and all the other minor leagues doing it and major league baseball dragging its feet. And if it drags its feet into May or June or whatever, just, I, I think it's fans in minor league markets are going to be fine because they have their cheap baseball. that's readily available. But like, but like the bigger ticket product that could take a hit. And I'm curious, like just what the backup plan is. If fans don't come back the way that it didn't come back immediately in 95 in 96 and, and needed the, the steroid race basically and Cal Ripken and everything else, like a couple of, you know, uh, historical events. Like if they, if they take that interest hit and they have this problem with balls in play and pace of play and everything like that, like it's going to be, it's going to be a tougher task to revitalize the game. than I think they, they think it is. I definitely agree with you. I definitely agree with you. Dismal outlook. But again, I think they're going to need a new commissioner after what has transpired. They're going to need new leadership to, to help them. And you got a lot of ownership with a lot of old owners. You could have some shuffling coming up on who's owning teams. And that's something just going to be, have to be more mindful of stop selling teams to like Bruce Sherman to the Miami Marlins and that he's only going to carry a $60 million payroll. You should be finding the investment firms. Cause that's who it's going to be moving forward. 
who are going to spend money like they do for the Dodgers. And if they're going to put significant money into their product, it's going to make their product better. And overall, that's going to make the league better. You got too many bottom dwellers right now that are trying to sell off as many parts as possible so they can field a team and increase the profit margins as much as possible. It's just, it is a business for them. And it's, it's terrible. It's wrecking, it's wrecking this sport. And we'll see on what happens moving forward. But for us at Sox Machine, you know, we do have the minor leagues and that has its own sorts of problems now that Major League Baseball has taken over <laughs> the minor leagues. Uh, it's not, you know, we'll, we'll see in how this uh, 2022 season works out for the minor leagues, but the minor leagues will start their play in early April. and We'll be covering the action as long as Major League Baseball is at its lockout from Winston-Salem, Kannapolis, Charlotte, and Birmingham. Uh, to at least as far as start the season and kind of focus on the players that we can talk about. Uh, I don't know when free agency is going to start up again. I don't know when trades are going to start up again until we have better insight on when the lockout is going to end and we're going to have a new CBA, but we may be waiting another month, folks, at the very least before that happens. So strap yourselves in and hunker down. Uh, this lockout, I think, is reasonable to say, Jim, it's going to last at least another month. That's my guess. It could resolve quickly just because... Yeah, know, we've already there, said that. There are reasons. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there are reasons. But yeah, when you make that, that owner block, yeah, I think it's going to... And if the, if the union can hold firm through May, that's, I think, when the league starts to sweat. Yeah, that's, that's terrible that you say it, but you're right. You're right. Oh, I I promise you guys, there will be happier days. <laughs> That's why in future episodes of this podcast, we're going to talk about other things than the lockout. So we'll go back to more player reviews. We're going to answer more of your questions, more of your hypotheticals in future episodes of Sox Machine Podcast and also ramp up as far as our minor league baseball coverage as we get closer to minor league Baseball's opening day in early April, and there should be some excitement, especially in Kannapolis with some new faces. And Oscar Colas is in the United States. He's part of the spring training camp right now for the White Sox in Glendale, and it sounds like he's either going to go to Winston-Salem or Birmingham. Uh, So there's things to keep our attention through April when it comes to minor league baseball for the Chicago White Sox farm system, and we'll be covering that on SoxMachine.com. But thank you guys so much for listening to this episode. I know many of you were waiting for this episode where we could really vent about Major League Baseball owners. And hopefully we did a good enough job uh, doing that in which you are satisfied with the anger. I'm angry with you guys as well. But if you just discovered Sox Machine or if you've been a longtime lurker of Sox Machine, think about helping support us by signing up at patreon.com slash Machine. Our Patreon supporters, they get more. They get exclusive content, such as the 2022 Major League Baseball draft reports that I do weekly. They also get ad-free versions of the podcast and website, and they get the first opportunity to purchase new Sox Machine swag, like we recently had with the new T-shirt and the new Sox Machine trucker cap. We're, we're out of the trucker caps, right, as far as an inventory update, Jim? Correct. All right. So Did not make it out of the Patreon phase. All right. Well, that's a better reason to be a Patreon supporter. We have monthly plans at just $2 a month, or if you sign up for an annual plan, you save 9%. And you can do that at patreon.com slash machine. 
You can subscribe to the Sox Machine Podcast wherever you listen to podcasts, such as Apple and Spotify and Google Podcasts. And the Sox Machine Podcast is a production of SoxMachine.com, your home for all things Chicago White Sox baseball and part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Alongside Jim Margulis, I'm Josh Nelson. Thanks for listening. If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC.